gloomy, mostly Euclidean confines of Castle Gormagon, upon the lofty, wind-blasted heights of the Plateau of Lang, I am Confucius the Ecumenical Volgi, and this is Radio Gormagon. Live, or at least mostly undead, from the Castle Gormagon Lounge. Pony up to the bar, grab what you can. We're closing it soon. It is Radio Gormagon time with Gort, the ecumenical Volgi, Ghetto Pewter, and of course the Tsar of Muscovy. And tonight's topic is how to save yourself at least $10 a year by changing your own motor oil at home. And our first question for Pewter is, you had a... uh, a tweet storm going this past week on elitism, plus and minus. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it, it started off as one tweet, and I, I forget who it came off of. It might have been Mo, or it, or it might have been somebody else, but it, it built off somebody else's, so I can't take full credit for it. But it got me to thinking about elitism in this country and media elites and political elites. And the one thing that I don't hear enough about elitism is that elitism isn't just for people who've been to college. It's not just for people who have been to J school. It's not just for people who are rich enough or popular enough to get elected to public office. You can be an elite and be blue collar. You can be an elite and never have gone to school a day in your life. You just have to be the best at what you do. And you have to work hard at it and you have to have a skill and you have to have a love and you have to have a drive to do it. But too often today we confuse elitism with credentials, meaning well, you can't possibly be elite. You haven't gone to college. But the guy who fixes your car in two seconds and can diagnose it just from the sound of your motor is every bit as much as an elite as, you know, the, the college professor. It's just in a different field. And I think the fact that we only value elites at a certain level and a cert- in certain areas, and it's white collar and it's academia, and it tends to be what the media says elites are. I think that's part of what's driving it. And it's not very well put. And it's not very well thought through. Um, but that was sort of the genesis of Tweetstorm. So, Volgi, do you have anything you'd like to add on that or anything to yeah, build on? I, I would say that actually there's not really a problem here in the sense that I think you've got two different senses of the word. One is the noun and elite, um, and specifically a societal elite. Uh, in other words, the people who tend to run things, those who are in control of institutions, who have more sway uh, in terms of what they can do, either by power, wealth, what have you. And I think on that level, it's legitimate to talk about an elite, how we define it, how permeable that elite is, all those things you can get into, without confusing it with the derivative adjectival sense of to be elite at something, to be identifiably in the top group of people at whatever. We can talk about Alan Iverson was an elite point guard, but we don't have to then think that, oh yes, he's in Debrett's and the social peerage and, you know, clearly was able to influence legislation in Congress. There's just two different meanings, right? But can I, I'm going to interrupt in this pewter again, but uh, do you think, Volgi, that it's purposeful conflation by media? Are they tending to conflate skill with that sort of peerage sort of sense that are they- are they doing it for a purpose, or do you think it's unintentional? 
I think I think yes and no. I think uh, it serves a purpose, but I don't know how uh, intentional it necessarily is because of the fact that since post World War II, we've attempted to build a meritocracy. Right there, the idea that you know somehow I have earned my way through school and therefore I deserve my excellent job and such and such is the kind of credentialism you're talking about, and it it, it undermines one key traditional value of a traditional elite like the old wasps or for, for that matter aristocracy in Europe which was noblesse oblige the idea that having nobility obliges you to do certain things for those who don't our meritocrats in exactly the professions you're talking about academia media stuff like that don't seem to have any uh, feeling of fellow citizenship or compassion or obligations to the people who they don't not quite think of as the people, but almost as sort of the unwashed mob. Do you find it odd? Because many of these people we're talking about here are, the, you know, the, the politicians and the, and the not necessarily all the politicians, but more in the media and more in academia are off the farm or out of small towns in the Midwest or out of a coal town in Kentucky or out of the steel mill in Pittsburgh. I mean, they, they literally are the sons and daughters of this group of people that helped build America and, and they're pulling up the ladder behind them and looking down their nose at it. And they're saying, I got my degree, I got mine and you guys can all burn in hell. It seems to me, or, or, or we're going to benign, benignly or not so benignly neglect you. We're going to pretend you don't exist. Well, I got out, I got out because I could and because I'm better than you and you couldn't. So I have a measure of contempt for you as I think a lot of the attitude, right. Is like a lot of, art is screw you mom dad and uncle phil back in Terre Haute. you're a bunch of inbred hicks and i'm gonna make fun of your little suburban development outside you know pittsburgh uh in my next movie blah 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 i I think i think the idea of overcoming a unfortunate accident of birth by being born into you know the white working class or whatever you call it which is sort of demonized um breeds this kind of you know, oikophobia, the opposite of xenophobia, the hatred of the familiar and the domestic. Um, Zardis, you have a question? I do, I do, Volgi, and it's kind of really ties well in what Pewter was just asking, is how uniquely or ununiquely American is this concept of anti-elitism? I mean, it just seems to me that, you know, Europeans kind of grew up with a sense of peerage, and when you talk to them about it, they don't really seem to have the same hang-ups, whereas, and it ties into what you were just saying, that a lot of the anti-elitism that Americans exhibit may actually come from grandparents or great-grandparents who came from Europe and were trying to flee that and have kind of put a bad pallor on it, or I'll let you answer the question, but to simplify the question is, mm-hmm. how differently do Americans view anti-elitism as opposed to the rest of the world? I think, I think it's stronger in a sense. Um, I think Europe in particular, I can't speak to lots of other parts of the world, but Europe in particular has the abiding, you know, vice or trend of class hatred because their elites tend to be perpetuating economic social classes being as the same. And you tend to have a lot more of that sort of virulent hatred of the people the next level or two levels up from you. Reporting that well into the United States, by the way. Well, we're, we're, that's, the, that's the interesting thing is, are we stra- is the so-called upper middle class sort of stratifying and making itself a self-perpetuating class rather than the open, you know, meritocracy in the good sense that it was intended, you know, rather than this sort of system for conferring merit through credentials that I think we've ended up with. Um, 
you know, whereby a you know young man of ability from the from the heartland can work his way up the ladder. You know, uh, Horatio Alger was. Some of that. Some of that's got to be. You know, this is Peter again, but it's it's um technology. Some of it's technology. Some of it's passed by. Some of it's the you know the economy and and movement. Um, you know, and a lot of this makes me wonder as I look at this because we've talked about a lot of a lot of elitism and a lot of classism, but we haven't talked about. And I hesitate to do this because I generally dislike doing it. But it seems that the the media's perception of elitism, which is overlaps with credentialism, excludes a lot of blacks and minorities and people of color. You know, and it's it's there's a lot of tokenism in this in this elitism. You know, and it's it's almost like oh sure you can come because we need you know because we're not it, it overlaps a lot with the the liberal and democratic notion of identity politics you know and it's it's interesting to me that it's it no matter you know when you get to elitism at the level it shakes out by race for the most part and you have your tokens you know it's like oh well look we have black friends or we have you know but it's it, it's really interesting so i mean i don't know what anybody's thoughts on that are but it occurs to me that that's a side effect so gord it looks like you've got something you know, Volge was going through some of the the words that we're choosing, right? Elite, but as the noun. But I think sometimes it gets conflated with elitism or or an elitist uh, in the pejorative sense of the term, where they they try to either consciously or or subconsciously put down other people to try to. And it's back to the credentialism that that we were talking about in in fields where performance actually matters and it's discernible, and the product is deliverable. Like in politics, it's, you know, you can play games with it, you know, oh, I did this, and I did this, and I got so many bills up, you know, I I sponsored so many bills this year, and, you know, oh, yeah, okay, great, but how many passed? You know, how many did actually get to vote? You know, and in academia, it's like, I published 58 papers, great, are they on, like, transgendered lesbian poetry of sub-Saharan Africa, you know, or, or were they on, you know, quantum physics? Those are big difference. <laughs> yeah, so study up for your quantum physics. But it's, it's that sort of thing. You can't fake engineering and science. You can either do it or you can't. It, it, and, and there's no in-between. And it, in law, you can kind of fake in certain areas, but you really can't because there's a deliverable product at the end of the day. And these areas where you see this, what I consider elitism, and I think Bolge did a very good job of explaining the two different senses of the word, and I'm probably misusing it here. The, they're not really, they're pretending to be elite because they're not actually, the meritocracy doesn't overlay their elitism. You know, th- their sense of elitism isn't built on meritocracy. It's built on credentials. And the credentials are just, uh, I think we, I'm coming back full circle, but it's, can you jump through these hoops? It's not, can you deliver a product at the end of the day? So I think we're getting divorced from the traditional American, I built that to, hey, I have this groovy idea and let's go out and have, you know, like a sit-in and a drum circle and we've accomplished something. We're, we're, we're losing sight of the ends and the deliverables, at least in my mind. Well, let me make one remark about elitism. I think it's, again, it's a slippery word. In its real sort of dictionary meaning, elitism is the idea or proposition that an elite, however defined, should run society or in these cases, a, a discipline, that there should be a governing group whose ideas uh, hold sway. And even that is a really vague term. A lot of what gets called elitism is just snobbery, frankly, and you know, is the idea of uh, 
an attitude of superiority of assuming one belongs to the elite as opposed to, you know, the unwashed hoi polloi and looking down on them. That gets called elitism. And I don't know that it's easy to untangle sometimes when people levy charges of elitism if they're actually talking about classism. Well, yeah, class or having a, a less or non-permeable elite running things, which is a problem, yeah. or if they're just saying, you people are snobs. I, I think you're right. I think there's a big part of that. and I, But I think it is tied up with merit as well. I think that there is this perception among many Trump voters, and I think it's an accurate perception, that the, the quote, the self-proclaimed elite in Washington and in media aren't doing the jobs that they should be doing. So, there, so the, the elitism that is self-proclaimed by these groups, you know, I'm an elite, is divorced from I've done the work and I'm doing the work and I'm getting stuff done that I was sent there to do, whether it be reporting facts accurately and then separating it from my opinion, which I deliver separately, or whether it's I was voted into office to re- repeal Obamacare or to pass tax reform or pick, pick poison. And they're not doing it. And I think yeah, I mean, well, that just means we have an incompetent elite. It doesn't mean they're not an elite in the you know, sense of an elite. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily good at what they do um, in the you know vernacular sense of elite point guard. Uh, you can say Lyndon Johnson was an elite level politician, and but we don't have a Lyndon Johnson today. So it just means that those people who are running things on some level aren't good at it. Doesn't so make I think Czar had something to add here. Yeah, it doesn't I, make them any less of an elite. Correct. So, Peter and, and Volga, you can weigh in on this one, please. Definitely do so. But what jobs should the elite be doing? And the, the reason I asked Peter that is, in his tweet rant, he had quite a few, uh, five or six, I'd say, um, examples of where elitism or elites uh, serve a function. Let's see how good his memory is. Oh, God. I'm, I'm trying to think this through. I think that I think I said I, the, the division between blue and white collar jobs. I think I had doctors, lawyers, politicians, and then I think also for the blue collar. And I am doing this off the top of my head, listeners at home. I had well, auto mechanics. Let, let, let me let me ask a just real quick question. Are you defining members of the social elite who have more sway, or are you? Because before you said you could have an elite car mechanic, and that would be a blue collar job. So I'm just trying to get. Yeah, I'm I'm using the, the the your latter meaning. So it is the elite car mechanic, the person who's at the top of his or her field, the person who has the merit and does the job. So you can be an elite politician. And you can be an elite auto mechanic and you can be an elite dog groomer or janitor. I mean, a custodian or or custodial engineer, whatever we're calling them these. But it's more, you're more than competent at your job. You excel at your job, whatever that job is, whatever your chosen vocation is that you excel at it. And I think you're right. I think you're right, Volgi. Does that, does that, does that answer your question? Because I think you were asking who, who should belong to the elite as opposed to an elite within a profession. Pre- previously, uh, Peter just said that you know the the elite is it now is it elite elite or elite Bulgy? I'll I'll leave, let you ha- handle that one. There could be differences between all three. I'm just curious on behalf of the listeners what jobs those are. And and he he came up with a, a good number of them off the top of his head, which is much better than the tweet storm where he kind of pulled them out of his ass. But I can do that I, too if you'd like. Turn off your video first, please. Listeners <laughs> at home, do not look. Well, you know, everything is about what goes in and out of Peter's ass. <laughs> Sooner or the, later. Sooner or later. 
So, no, I mean, I, I think we're back around in, in full circle here, and it comes to Volgi's point well about, the, about the two meanings of elite. You know, and we are talking around it a bit, and it's nice that Volgi, Volga keeps pulling us back to it. But I, I, I'm really not convinced about either meaning. I mean, I, I'm really beginning to think the more we talk through this and the more we discuss it, that we're really talking about a new classism, and it's divorced from meritocracy now. Well, there's and, also technocracy. Yes, and that's true, too. And I think that that's caused a lot of trauma with the divide between the haves and the have-nots in tech and that tech knowledge. But so it, both- there also is the issue of, you know, what um, what's his name? Gilash called the, the new class. That is to say, this sort of amorphous level of managerial personnel who have taken on a uh, leading role in society in the sense that their views and actions shape the larger society in the way that an old economic or aristocratic elite would have in the past. And I think that's who we're talking about is, you know, education bureaucrats, journalists, movie makers, university professors, the undersecretary for, you know, water abatement you know, at the EPA or something. I think th- this is the group of people that when we talk about elites in, in the American context, people tend to think of to the degree that they, you know, sort of self-reproduce, they tend to do th- so through certain credentials, mostly academic, uh, but otherwise, you know, I think government pay grades m- moving up, you know, to be a GS-14, GS-15, by the time you get there, you're, you know, pretty well established as somebody whose actions are consequential in a way that, you know, a guy with a prosperous laundromat is not. The elite, I think we're talking about that uh, the populist resentment and anger of is, is largely these people who hold jobs that are largely distinguished by the manipulation of words um, and, and less technology. I don't think people get as upset or as resentful of, you know, even the egregious, you know, Gates and Zuckerberg and Bezos and uh, Musk and these guys. They're more sort of the guy who just got fired from Uber. I mean, you're right. I think they're more sort of the sideshow, right? Everybody's kind of interested in the crazy rich dudes. Um, And they may be annoyed that, oh, geez, Bill Gates is sticking his nose in here or Zuckerberg's come out with some fatuous statement about society. Um, You know, to to some degree, these guys are. They add value. They add value and they're members of society because they have created, you know, colossal piles of wealth for themselves and other people. And jobs. And you're talking jobs. I mean, they've created lots of stuff. Yeah. And, they've, and they vary from others. In, in, but in terms of being members of these sort of sociocultural, political elite, we'll, you know, talk about Gates, dro- Gates got into an Ivy League school, but he dropped out. He ordinarily probably you wouldn't think of as, you know, uh, an elite, you know, guy of background or whatever. Um, Zuckerberg is, in fact, an Ivy League guy, you know, so he and he he went through and presumably, you know, he happily, uh, you know, acculturated himself there and elsewhere and bears some, you know, marks of the schooling and, and so forth. So he probably is a little more socially acceptable among certain circles than say a Warren Buffett even. Um, but I think you're right. I think you're right there. I think you've touched on something very important here. And it's, I think it's what I was getting at earlier. Most important things are things you were getting at. No, you know, I mean, it, well, for me it is because I'm, it's all about me when you get down to things at the end of the day. The, and thank you for and, pointing and, that and out. And things going in and coming out of your butt. That's true. Primarily. Primarily. And, and you know, and I have Zara to thank for a lot of that. 
in many ways. But the what the elites were, you know, the sort of elites we were talking about here, the tech tech elites, they produced something. But I think you're right with the manipulation of words. People look at that and go, you're not producing anything of value. You're taking, but you're not giving. And I think that's where a lot of the the disconnect comes. They feel as if... And, not just and, taking, it's bossing around. You're bossing me around. You're telling me what to do. With my money. And, I, mean, I, res- and yeah. I resent it that you have the power to do that. Because you're not producing results. If you were bossing me around and producing good results for society, like if you were bossing me around and you were creating hundreds of thousands of jobs a year, I might still resent it, but I'd resent it less. If I were working for you, I would resent it less. I, you know, if, if Bill Gates, you know, tries to do something that causes me to have to do something I don't care to do uh, or morally object to, yeah, I'm going to resent that just as much, but he's not really in a position to, for the most part. You know, it's largely the political, administrative, bureaucratic, academic, media class who have, and it seems like this is a more recent phenomenon, you know, in my life where I've noticed it more in the, you know, we'll say last decade than before, um, who really have taken it on themselves to become moral scolds and removing themselves to some degree from the common dialogue of the the country. I mean, this is all leads into what we were talking about last time around when we were talking about partisanization, I guess you could call it, and and, uh, politicization of everything. And that, you know, we tend to have these groups who are sort of seem to be slowly drawing away from each other. Um, I know uh, Pewter and the Tsar weren't around for that. I I wonder if you think that, you know, this is part of a larger phenomenon. And I'll I'll ask you guys something I asked the uh, other guys the way around. How do you think we get out of this? How do you think we reintegrate the, we'll call it here, the people and the elite or, you know, the populists and uh, the high-handed types or whatever you like to to call them. Do do we as Americans recover some sense of common identity to a greater degree than we have now? And if so, is it only through a crisis or does it, you know, kind of work out? Uh, Let me go to you. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Hello. I want to quickly and briefly jump back to one point, which may unfold into a much larger discussion, but I, I think the popular definition of technocrat would be the you know the the Bezoses and the Zuckerbergs and the uh, the uh, Gates of the world, but you know the technocrats can exist with only uh, a fifty thousand dollar a year government job. And Volge certainly hit on it when he talked about uh, the bureaucrat. To where I think if you look at technocrat by its Greek roots, it's definitely leading by the by technology, but it can also be a portmanteau word for the technology bureaucrat. So I to me the and I've been using the, the term uh, technocracy probably for almost 30 years. I'm also describing the, uh, the system admin at a company that can make decisions by, by just entering a few strokes into a, a spreadsheet or the government employee that can utterly ruin your life by misspelling your name on a government form. But beyond that, it's the, it's the, to me, the technocrat, the pure technocrat, is the individual that believes that technology has a solution and that they're justified in making these decisions because there is a system for them, that there is a technology that supports it. You know, we see this a lot, for example, with the, uh, the EPA, that there's a, there's a database out there that says this is the case. Therefore, we are now empowered to make a decision that will affect thousands of employers based on this. And if you come at me, now I did it purely out of a political uh, bent, but if you come at me, I've got the, the technology and the data behind it to support my claim. It's the solution, the system. I'll give you an example of that. For example, uh, Mitt Romney was described as a technocrat. 
when, when he was running for president in 2012 uh, by the media, and not incorrectly, I think, is that he's one of those people that if you throw a problem at it, he thinks that given enough mind power and enough technology and enough software, we can probably get out of the problem. Typically true in business, possibly true in, in some government, but not necessarily true in reality. I think it's an abiding belief on the left that social science can be harnessed to uh, act as you're talking about what we tend to think of as physical technologies can. That somehow, I mean, the administrative state back to the early part of the 20th century was, you know, guided on the the rule of the expert, and that's what you know kratein means in Greek. Actually, is really more close closer to rule. So. So uh, yeah, I, I think I think there's a there is a, a big overlap between technocrats and the broader new class sort of we were talking about, um, especially if you broaden the definition of technology to things like bureaucracies. If you view a bureaucracy as a technology, which which it is in, in the broader sense, that you know somehow through this large web of rules and enforcements and procedures, you develop a mechanism by which people live, that people act as the gears in this larger machine can be rationally directed from above. Yeah, I think that's... that's as, a, as a technologist, I'm offended. I, I, well, yes, you should be because you are a 20-foot robot with a single eye and laser laser beams coming don't, out of your don't, hoo-ha. Don't, don't offend him because he set up this chat and he can, you know, you through his technocratic rule, end it at any time. And edit me right the hell out. So the QED, baby, QED. There's almost nothing Gort can't do. That's true. The I did want to come back to Vol- Volgi's point about what do we do with this sort of this overarching deep state's the bad word, and I forget exactly what you called it, but it's don't use the term deep state. That's like crazy paranoid. Turkish. It's Turkish too. It's originally Turkish in which context it actually has some meaning. Okay. Uh, So what was the phrase you used? I want to make sure I use the correct phrase. I don't know. Bureaucracy. Bureaucracy. The new class. So we'll call it the new new class class. extends beyond the administrative state per se. but. But if we're talking about the new class, I think what we've seen that led to the rise of this new class is the failure of Western religion, because it gave the American people a binding unity, whether you were Roman Catholic or Lutheran or Episcopalian or Jewish or even non-practicing. But we did have a binding Judeo-Christian ethic across the country. And what I think we see now with the new class is a rejection of that order and that morality and those ethics, whatever you think of them, in favor of this new religious order of whatever you want to call it, whatever their order is, but it, it's it's an absolute belief in good, and we've talked about you know that through man's reason we can perfect him, and it's it's the common failing of man is to worship himself, and I think that's what we see a lot in this new class is a worship of self to to improve and perfect man, but it's failed throughout the ages. So I so to solve this. We have to make religion strong again and or wait for it to collapse under its own weight in a fiery, fiery pit of hell like Mao and Stalin. Because that's where it's headed with the new class is we can perfect man because we have the reason and we, we can figure it out with this set of rules. And if you just follow us because we've got it right this time, that's where I see that new class going. And I think that's why a lot of people viscerally, even if they don't know why, and I don't exactly know why, you don't trust them because they don't have, they don't seem to abide by the American ground rules of the past. 
they've rejected them in favor of something new and that something new just happens to favor them. So that's what I think is going on here. And that's why I'm ill at ease with the rise of the new class. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Gord? So um, I've sat here and listened to it and, and I come back, I kind of struggle with this whole topic of talking about elites because to me, I don't really care. Like if someone self-describes or describes somebody else as an elite, I don't really care. You show me what you can do and, and do it. And, and that's, you know, I'm kind of a proof is in the pudding kind of guy. The fact that, I don't know, the Clinton meritocrat. Right. Right. Uh, I am guilty as charged. White privilege. Uh, (laughs) You know, Silver titanium alloy privilege. <laughs> Given the, the Clintons or the Bushes or the Romneys, you know, the Carries, whoever you want to pick on as the political elite, uh, I, I don't put a lot of credit into it. And, and I actually think that that's part of what's going on in the country and why Trump won. And, and I'm not necessarily itching to go down this whole Trump debate, but I think part of what was appealing to to Trump and to Ben Carson and to Carly Fiorina, uh, and and I'll even extend it to Scott Walker to some degree, is is they were from outside of that political elite, and I'm putting that in air quotes. Class. But wait, but wait, th- but then that's a real. F- if if yeah. non-membership but, is legit, then that's a real phenomenon on some level, right? It's it's a real phenomenon. But what I'm describing is is it's the reaction to it. The people don't care. Like, I don't care that they are some elite that we should follow because I don't buy into it. I'd rather listen to someone who has a concrete message who has done something. And, and right, you could poke at all of me. You could poke at Trump's bankruptcies or Carly Fiorina's problems at HP, Ben Carson's crazy pyramid talk. Um, <laughs> you know, they all had their flaws, but they were coming from somewhere that I think people knew wasn't an elitist perspective and 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 so i'm not saying that they don't exist by any means i i do believe that this elite exists i just don't put a lot of credit into it i don't i won't it carries no weight for me and i think that's what's happened to a large portion of the country is they don't carry a lot of weight and i think it's confused i think it's part of the reason why the media is so wrapped around the axle on this thing they can't figure it out because the elite should be telling everyone else what's going on and why things should be a certain way. And now it's not adding up because people well, are hot, pushing back against it. It's a hot button for me. And I posted a lot on the site about this, but uh, this is the czar um, that people on the left tend to really need someone in charge telling them what to do. And when they try to analyze people on the right, they're always attempting or struggling to find out who our leader is, you know, um, is it Rush Limbaugh? It was for a while, they said. Is it uh, Sarah Palin? Well, it was for a while, they said. Uh, they, they're always racing, scrambling, really, to find out or figure out who we're getting our orders from, you know, those of us on the right. And the sad reality is that you're typically on the right because, as Gort just said, we don't really have anybody at the top. We don't necessarily follow anybody. We don't buy into uh, that there's a there's a ruling class above us. I mean, you know, our our founding fathers were libertarian, and they they easily pictured the United States as an unfinished pyramid, not because it was a goal that we were striving toward, just that there's not necessarily anybody solid up at the top that 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 forces things downward. So I, I suspect too that a lot of 
your definitions of what constitutes an elite depends on what side of the political fence you're on. Uh, so if you're if you on the left, you may view your media as an elite. You may view some of your politicians who have made decisions for you and who hand out the money to you and who kind of set the constraints for your daily life for you. Yeah, those those could easily be your elite. But those of us on the right, um, you know, we tend to look a little bit more practically, you know, to Pewter's point about the car mechanic to the. Uh, the basketball player that, that, that shoots from the outside really well, you know, again, to Gort's point, that that's the meritocracy, that, that you prove what you have and, and, okay, you can be an elite for to, to the limited extent that you can demonstrate your capability. I would say that the existence of an elite in our society is, to me, obvious and on some level unproblematic because there's an elite in every society one way or another. And it's largely a matter of the definition of it. I think to some degree, the problems we're talking about is that our elite, that is to say the people who have the ability to change things by their decision-making are on some level incompetent and on some level untrustworthy. And whether that's a outgrowth of a democratic system as some people would have it, or whether it's a matter of the particular people we've got in charge or just the spirit of the age or whatever, I think largely the left wants the elite who they view usually as themselves um, because they do run a lot of things. They want the elite to be more competent in actually accomplishing those things they view as desirable, inflicting them on society if necessary, you know, through, if you go back to Wilson, FDR and some of these things through, you know, law enforcement even, or the people who talk now about jailing people who dissent from climate change predictions or the use of hate speech uh, in a broad sense, or, you know, the Canadians attempted this Canadian Supreme Court attempting to make Google take certain results off their search engine globally because they offend the Canadian Supreme Court uh, or, or violate a law of Canada's. So the left wants more competency in accomplishing their goals. And as we mentioned last week, the, the tend, these goalposts tend to shift and they never tend to ultimately reach the final utopia that they really think can be made possible if only good people are given enough power over the bad people. On the right, I think we have more the problem that we don't trust these people for two reasons. One, that the guys who are allegedly on our side don't deliver, which is, I think, Gort's complaint. Again, that's a competency thing, but it's a sort of second degree thing is that like when you listen to people make, you know, Paul Ryan this, Mitch McConnell that, it's like they said they would do this and they didn't do this. And it's that they said they would as much as the fact that they didn't. And and this is why they get lumped in on the Georgetown cocktail party circuit with the, you know, I think what all of us would view probably the sort of general, you know, liberal elite or um, more left-leaning elite who we don't trust because they tend to be dishonest in their selling anything from, you know, your, you can keep your doctor if you like your doctor to, you know, well, no, would never go that far to, you know, oh, no, 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 just you, you got to be crazy that if we uh, pass gay marriage then we'll be talking about, you know, transgender, that's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, hey, the slippery slopes usually prove pretty slippery. And so I think there's there is an elite. Um, I think the complaint of the right is we wish it were a better elite. And the complaint of the left is that because they are the elite, they wish they were more effectual. 
Boy, I tell you, the next time anyone uh, republishes Plato's Republic, I think Volge should write the introduction and spare the uh, reader a whole lot of time in getting through the rest of it. Quis custodia ipsos custodes, right? Yeah, exactly. Who guards yeah. the guards themselves, Peter? Well, I Who watches the Watchmen? Not many people watched the Watchmen. It wasn't that great a film. It was not. I'll give you that one. But it was, you know, Highlander 2. It was no Highlander 2, the movie that does not exist. A lot of this comes down to, and I think a lot of my dissatisfaction right now with the, quote, elites and, and the new class comes down to Congress ain't doing its damn job. I mean, you've got the, the branch of the government that's supposed to be speaking for the people, and it ain't doing anything. It can't Peter, get anything which, done. Which Congress did do its job? Sometimes the Congresses that say, I'm not doing stuff. The one that crammed the Obamacare through on a party line vote? They did a great job for what their people wanted. But I'm just simply saying the Congress isn't doing a good job of providing for the people. They're doing what they want to do to enrich that new class. They're being guided by the new class to enrich and enforce the new class, but they're not doing it. And I think that's what we're hearing from your, your, your Trump voter. I, yeah, but I think I think Obamacare. I think Obamacare is a great example of the you know new class interests uh, taking a large area of economics, society. Ultimately, you know, if you look at the poor little Charlie Guard case, right? Ultimately, who controls this human being's fate um, and moving it under their control? Correct. Think, but what I'm saying is just a matter of handing out goodies to people for popularity's sake. I, I think, on a philosophical level, you know that type of, you know, um, maneuver is as self-dealing on the benefits of the elite because they are the ones who have power. Exactly. Um, no, that's I, it. it was undermining, self-undermining on a level uh, of political power in Congress because it's wiped out the Democratic Party, uh, you know, in state houses and, and to some degree Congress and uh, the presidency across the country because it was terribly duplicitous, poorly managed, all that sort of stuff. Yet, um, as you say, you know, they maybe did a good job in that that's still a win in their column. And, you know, as we mentioned last time, you know, the Thatcherite's term of the ratchet effect by which everything only moves left and cannot be moved back rightward again. Correct. Um, you can't undo the ratchet it. Effect clicked maybe, right? You, yeah, you, know, you can't undo an entitlement. But what we need to start doing, and, and what I'm talking about more about Congress not doing its job is less the sort of Obamacare issue that you were talking about, because that is a good example of Congress doing what it perceived to be its job to enrich itself and to keep the, the new state or the new class in power. But what I'm talking more about is abdicating its job to government agencies that are unelected and unanswerable to the people and abdicating its job in many ways to the courts. Because gay marriage, whatever you think of it, good, bad, and different, if it had been passed by the legislature, and I would argue these state legislatures were the place for it to be passed, in New York, I disagreed with it fundamentally. It was passed through my state's legislature. It was signed by my state's governor. It is now the law of my state, and I can jump up and down and think it's an awful idea and all that stuff, but it was passed by people that were elected by me. Gay marriage at the national level was crammed down. Abortion was crammed down by the courts. Because And Congress is still too chicken shit to take a vote on abortion. And if, if we voted on abortion today in Congress, my guess is you would have abortion legal across the country with a 20-week ceiling because that's what we could get through Congress. Because, you know, the Supreme Court said it's the law. The Supreme Court, even if it thought it was the law, didn't make that whole shit up in Roe versus Wade, should have said there is a constitutional right to an abortion. Congress passed a law. We're not telling you what the law is. There's a right to it. Right now, 
if you want to restrict it, you got to pass a law. Otherwise, it's, it's just a right. The, the, my point, my greater point is these are issues that should be determined by the representatives of the people. And the representatives of the people have been pawning them off so that they can keep power. They've been pawning them off to unelected agencies. They've been pawning them off to the courts that have lifetime tenure. And that's, we shouldn't care as much about the courts. We shouldn't care that much about agencies. In fact, there shouldn't really be agencies in my mind, or they should be much more fettered, much more fettered. And Congress should probably have to review all those rules that were passed every year and vote up or down on them singularly, one at a time, because they're laws. They function like laws. So my point is Congress isn't doing its job. And that's what I mean by Congress not doing its job. Well, yeah, no, that's but Congress is doing its job to some degree within the confines of the new system that was put into place over the 20th century, in which a much broader elite than the, you know, 535 guys uh, in Congress um, share in this, um, you know, power game. So I want to draw it back to the Volk, you mentioned uh, something that we talked about last week of the ratchet effect. And I was thinking about it in uh, trying to demonstrate the absence of something or not needing something is terribly difficult. And I actually think in an abstract way, that's kind of where the conservatives come from, right? They're, the platform is essentially, we don't need all this government or we shouldn't need all this government. And trying to sell the absence of something is really hard because it's not tangible. You can't feel it. The left, on the other hand, says, we'll create an agency for doing this. We'll create a law for doing this. We'll and it's something that someone can see or read or, or have all the feels about. And, and I wonder if that's kind of the reasoning behind that ratchet effect. And so when Congress is doing its job, and, and I tend to agree with Pewter in that Congress hasn't been doing their job, but I think it's for twofold. I think the Democrats have, again, like Volge said, Obamacare is, is a feather in their cap. They had, this was their plan. They executed on it. They're dealing with the consequences of, of it. Uh, ever since probably, and, and you can argue this one, but uh, ever since Newt Gingrich's Congress, where they had kind of that plan for America or whatever he called it, there's not been a concise, defined strategy for the conservatives, for the, for the GOP in Congress. And it's been largely reactive and trying to remove things and that is just such an uphill battle that I don't think it's I don't think it's tenable. And so we get into this malaise that we're in of one side trying to pull things away and the other side trying to scrap it and and win over things again back to these elites of we know what's right and we know what's good for the country. Yeah, well, and let's be honest about it. The only elites America needs are your gormagons. I mean, we we really should be in charge of everything and we've got it right this time and we That's promise- the plan. And we promise that we won't slaughter everyone. Yeah, if you're nice to us. And, 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 and obey. And so, yeah, send the cookies. The bottom line is the proper elite for the world, indeed, the Gormagon. Podcast listeners will not be slaughtered. First. No, probably not at all. They'll, see it we, com- well, they'll hear it coming. True. Unless we need kindling. All right. Well, I think that's going to be it for tonight. And on, that, on that cheery note, can we do a fun podcast next time? This sure, is we get, grim stuff, man. It's like two weeks in a row. Everything's going to hell. We, we could talk about Hello Kitty next week. Yeah, I was just going to suggest that is, um, you know, uh, Ghetto Pewter's Guide to the Sanrioverse. We should say happy birthday to our minion, Neva. Yes. We're happy recording birthday. this on Neva's birthday. Happy, happy, happy. Now, see, in Chicago, it's pronounced Neva. 
in Russia, it's pronounced Nieva. Nieva. Nieva Rika. It's the river that yeah, goes through St. Peter's. Nieva. Yes. Nieva River. Uh, you've been pewter rolled. That's right. And ain't nobody need to see that. Here, let me take my shirt off. Wait, that's that tattoo's new. Yeah. Uh, it's Neva and Hello Kitty. Don't ask what, what they're they? doing. Well, thanks, everybody. We're probably going to end it there for this podcast. This is the Tsar of Muscovy, and on behalf of the Ecumenical Volgi and Gort and Ghetto Pewter and the ones who can't be here tonight, Dr. J and, and Mandarin, because they're off having fun, we're going to end tonight, but we're going to end things just a little bit differently than we usually do on a podcast, because I promised myself, and I've always wanted to do this, we're going to do a Bollywood-style ending. Here we go. Check it out, elephants. Look at that. I've got about 45 ladies in gold saris dancing. This is awesome. Awesome. Good night, everybody. Listeners at home, do not look. <laughs>